0: You are listening to a sermon from mission point saint john we hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and jesus our savior yeah, we've been on this series and this is the last part of the series and i can tell you for me putting it together it hasn't been easy because it's been challenging me before i deliver it to you it's had to go through my spirit and pick away and prod at me start pruning away things that shouldn't be there so that i can grow in him and uh, so over the last three weeks we have been on this series sunday mornings and we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit and today We find ourselves in this final part. We've covered so far love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. God has been speaking to his church about spiritual growth, growing us. And again, I'll remind you that Jesus called himself the vine, and we are the branches. That's right. Oh, you guys have been paying attention. Hallelujah. I can go sit back down again. Our only responsibility is to stay connected to the vine, to stay connected to the Lord. And as we do, He grows through us what is needed in His kingdom. But how do we stay connected to Him? Prayer. It all dwindles down to prayer. It's not fancy programs, it's not special seating, it's not the right lights, it's not the perfect song set. None of those things. It's prayer. Jesus said that his house is to be a house of prayer. And so he's been calling us back to prayer, back to a place where we are connected to him stronger than we ever have been. Now is not the time to sever ourselves from him. To, now is not the time to cut ourselves off from the vine, but it's time to get a firm grip and never let go of him so that as we do, he works through us. But let let me remind you that these fruit of the Spirit are not our natural emotions. If they were, it would be so much easier just to produce them. These are only produced through Him. He is developing Himself in us. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We house His presence within us. He takes up residence. That's what was happening here this morning. We have access to Him at any given time. And as we come together and worship here this morning, that presence, we, we dig right into that. We begin accessing his presence as we begin lifting up our hands, praising him with our mouth, giving him worship here this morning. That's when his presence is accessed in our life. And as he does, we are giving him full permission to come in and renovate our lives any way that he sees fit. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, find, may, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That means that we can approach God and find the mercy and the grace that we need in our time of need. The fruit that hang off of our branch, visible to the world, isn't a display of our accomplishments, And tell tell everybody a story of who we are. Rather, they are visible to the world of what God has done through us. And show that what we are, we couldn't be without Him. We couldn't be without Him. And so one more time, we're going to call out His name in prayer and ask Him to prune away, discard anything in us that's hindering our growth. Help us to be honest with ourselves and begin the process of producing His attributes in our lives. And so once again, I'm going to ask you to lift up your voices all across this place, So we're going to join together our voices in prayer. ask God to let his will be done here today. Lord, we are so thankful for this journey that you have us on. Lord, we thank you for what you've been doing in us, God, for what you've been producing. It's not us, Lord. God, there's times when we don't have the power within ourselves, Lord, but you are working through us. You're creating in us. Your purpose, your plan, all for your will, Jesus. It's all about you. So let your will be done through us here today. In Jesus' name, we give you all praise. Amen. Amen. So today, I've got the final three to go through. And so please just bear with me. And you can count them down as I go through. And you can just see, oh, we're coming to a close. But I'll just pre-warn you that uh, so far we've been covering two each week, and today I've got to try to get through three, and we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. We'll get through this. First of all, there's faithfulness. Whether or not you realize that we are creatures of habit, and we become faithful to a variety of different things, maybe that's buying our gas at the same place every week. Maybe that's buying the same brand of shoes for life even if they are a little bit more expensive, you know that those are the ones that you like. Maybe it's a thousand and one other things. We have in us the capability of faithfulness because we exhibit the same traits as our Heavenly Father without even realizing it. This is the fruit that took our Lord all the way to the cross. He never ran away from His plan He had for us even though the cost was great. Jesus promised in His Word that He would never leave us or forsake us. He won't abandon you, because he is the faithful one. He's faithful to forgive. The Bible tells us in First John chapter one verse nine. It says, "If we confess our sins, if we admit our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins." How many's thankful for that? And to purify us from all unrighteousness. He will not be moody one day forgiving you and the next day saying, tough luck. Try again tomorrow. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah, Jesus. And because this is part of his nature, he desires it for each and every one of us. In the great and final war against evil, we read this description of those on the winning side and we turn to the final book in our Bible, Revelations chapter 17, verse 14. It says, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb, talking about Jesus Christ, will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And watch this. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful. Somebody say faithful. Faithful followers. That's talking about his church. The ones standing by his side when he goes to war against the enemy will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. In the day of judgment, when God comes back, splits the eastern sky, raptures his church, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, his words to those who follow after him will be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So you show up you come here this morning, you're faithful. And this is what he expects from his disciples. This is what he wants for each of us to be faithful. One of the things that the Apostle Paul was most grateful for was that Jesus considered him to be faithful. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, that he considered me trustworthy. In other words, faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul knew what it was like to think that he was doing good, but when he encountered Jesus Christ for himself, everything changed. His whole life was changed in an instant. And now he is able to write in gratitude thanks to God. I'm no longer the same. He has given me strength and has considered me, he's considered me faithful. Jesus saw this potential in Paul and that is how a man so faithful to the law became the apostle so faithful to love. The very nature of this fruit is that it does the job needed regardless of any recognition. The true test of faithfulness is this. If we will do what we are gifted to do for the body of Christ, for the benefit benefit of the kingdom, even if we are seldom to never thanked for it, Faithfulness is that virtue that says, reward or not, recognition or not, I'm going to do what pleases my Lord. It's this virtue that says, Lord, you've been so faithful to me. I'll be faithful to you for all my life. Habakkuk expressed in chapter 3, verse 17 to 18 of his book, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine." Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Even when it doesn't look like anything is being produced, nothing is growing, even when it doesn't look like God is doing anything in my life, I will faithfully follow him even when that prayer that you've been praying for the last 40 years hasn't been answered yet. He is still my Savior, and I'm going to praise Him. When we are only faithful when it pays off in some sort of reward, we are operating in the flesh. The cause of Christ will be abandoned when we operate this way. But those with the spiritual fruit of faithfulness will continue to serve the Lord when the benefits cease. And there are only burdens to be carried in prayer. This is the point that Jesus invites us to take up our cross and follow Him. Cross bearing is not for the unfaithful, they will abandon Christ at the point at which the burden is greater than the benefit. Unfaithful people will stop going to church because they don't like who's preaching. I hope that's not the case here this morning. (laughs) They don't like the songs that are being sung. The seats aren't quite to your liking. The climate is too cold or too hot. We'll, uh, I, I refer to these as the three bears in the story of Goldilocks. Somebody's been sitting in my seat. Somebody's been eating my porridge. Somebody's been messing with the thermostat again. The Apostle Paul wrote soberly that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, when the burdens of serving alongside of Paul became greater than the benefits. Demas took off and went his own way. He was faithful only when it paid to be. This kind of natural faithfulness is not enough in any relationship of life. All relationships are tested, and the test is that they sometimes cost more than what they pay. When we say our wedding vows, for example, we say for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in hell. It's a covenant that you go into knowing that even if they get rich, and please, Lord, let that be the case, or they become desperately poor, even if they get sick, or they stay in health, even when you don't see eye to eye on things, you don't walk out. It's a commitment that you make for life. People make the excuse, well, I fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of faithfulness. True love that God commends us to show our spouse doesn't operate on feelings. It's unconditional. Whether you feel the love, receive the love back, whatever. He likens how we are to faithfully love one another the way that he faithfully loved the church and gave his life for it. He gave his life for it. The Bible tells us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us even when we wanted nothing to do with him. Didn't believe in him and showed no love back. That's the beauty of faithfulness. He didn't walk out on us. It has no limitations. And Jesus calls his church his bride. And someday soon, he is coming back for his bride. And that's why it's so important that we get this. We do a disservice to ourselves and to the Lord when we come to church on Sundays, get ourselves in praise and worship, and then on our way out the door, we take off our wedding band and act like we don't belong to him. True faithfulness that God calls us to isn't dependent on the way that we feel. It's dependent only on the fact That God is faithful. He's been faithful to forgive me. He's been faithful to show me mercy and grace, and I wanna be like that. The second that we'll go into is gentleness, fruit of gentleness. We see the spirit, this fruit of gentleness, in the way that Jesus dealt with the despised sinners of the day. Zacchaeus was hated as a tax collector. He was the opposite of Robin Hood, I guess. But Jesus told him, I'm coming to your house today. The Pharisees were ready to stone the woman that was taken in adultery. The Bible tells us this story, but Jesus gently turned to the crowd surrounding her and said, Let he that is without sin cast the first stone. The only one that could have thrown a stone who was without sin chose not to it's only it's the one who takes all the facts into consideration the hard-hearted are quick to make absolute judgments regardless of the circumstances seldom open to grace a non-gentle jesus would have had the woman stoned okay go ahead and do it and only later reflected on the strange circumstances that the man was not also brought to be judged but thank god he is gentle Thank God he's gentle. We could see this woman was being used by the Pharisees. They didn't, they didn't care about her fate, but only for how she could be used to trap the Lord. She was a ploy, a pawn in their political agenda. But Jesus wasn't interested in any of that. He was only interested in this woman's soul. And while the Pharisees looked at the present, Jesus looked into eternity A gentle spirit takes in the whole picture. It does not operate on half-truths. It doesn't jump to conclusions. If you hear something bad about another person and you are instantly ready to condemn them, it's not a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit is patient and will want all the facts. A gentle spirit won't take it to their friends, but will take it to the Lord in prayer. Consider this. If God was not gentle, where would we stand? Paul was constantly referring to the fruit of gentleness and dealing with the tensions in the early church. There was enormous conflict and arguments of all kinds. Even over Paul's authority, they said, "Who are you?" We read this in, uh, we read this throughout uh, the book of Corinth, some in Corinth were asking, "Who does Paul think he is telling us what to do?" Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse one, "By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you." Second, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, he wrote, Shall I come to you with a whip, with a rod, in discipline or in love, and with a gentle spirit? Love and gentleness, they go together. If you were quick to throw stones, you reveal not so much how bad your victim is, but how spiritually rough and unpolished you are. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 uses this fruit again in telling Christians how to deal with fallen Christians. He writes, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Our goal as examples of Christ in this world should always be restoration, not judgment, not revenge, restoration. The gentle grace of God commends us to help those who fall to get back on the road and continue the journey with us. Everything changes when we realize, I need the gentle love of God to survive, just like everyone else. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. I've stated this all through the series, and I'll say it again. Notice how every one of the fruit of the Spirit is linked to the other fruit. None of them operate in isolation. They are a cluster of, they're like a cluster of fruit, like grapes. They all function together. They work together in harmony. And when they do, they are the most powerful force in the world. Gentleness, it doesn't sound like a great power. But united with the other fruit of the Spirit, it is powerful beyond what we could ever imagine i could do a census of this entire room we could go through here and ask if you were a superhero, what power would you want to have and there wouldn't be many people that would say i want the power of gentleness Paul wrote to Titus about how, Corinthians, how Christians should live in their culture. He used the fruit of gentleness as one of the key ingredients. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, which translated means gentleness, and to show true humility toward all men. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong translations again. We ourselves determined at times to believe we have to fight with weapons that people understand. Fight fire with fire. That's the only thing that they'll understand. But Paul gives instructions to Timothy on how to deal with, we'll call them difficult people. The type of people always looking for a fight. Always looking for their way. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Oh, I got that translation right. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope, listen now, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The goal of the Christian in all relationships, even with the most painful of circumstances, is to get them to accept the truth in Christ. John Drescher, he wrote a book called Spirit Fruit, and he tells this story of the gentleness of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. You might have heard of him before. Crowds came to hear him everywhere he went on, on one occasion, a young boy... Dirty and ragged came to the door of the large church where he was coming to preach. The usher at the door told him that he should be home in bed and he turned him away. Now that wouldn't happen here today. Our ushers know better. They're not going to do this. The lad went to the side of the church where he was crying when Moody arrived in his carriage. He heard the boy's sobs and went over and asked him what his problem was. And he explained he was not allowed in to hear Moody preach. Moody smiled and said, do you really want to get in? I know how you can get past that big fellow at the door. Are you willing? The lad's response was a definite, yes, sir. Moody told him to hold on to his coattails, not let loose until he said so. And so Moody just walked into the church and up to the pulpit with with him holding on to his coattail. And the little guy was right behind him. And he said, now, my boy, you sit here. And he put him in his chair where he listened to Moody preach. The pastor who told this story said, the reason I know it is a true story is because it happened in my church and I was that little boy. Moody's gentleness in this boy's life led him to become the pastor of that church in the future. The bottom line is God expects us to be gentle. The Lord had great power and he could have zapped people into conformity to the will of God, but he didn't. He used love and gentleness. He did not compel people to follow him. He called. And some did, but many didn't. He was a gentleman who treated all people with dignity, and he respected their right to say no. He did not say to the rich young ruler who walked away, get back here, take up your cross, follow me. Instead, he wept and let him walk away. Jesus did not force himself on anybody. He hasn't forced you to come here today. Nobody held a gun to your head and told you that you had to be in the house of the Lord. We've chosen because God is gentle. And that is why there is a plan of salvation rather than just a plan of judgment. Thank God for His gentleness. And lastly, here this morning, is self-control. The last fruit of the Spirit and the final part of our series is self-control. One of the things that made Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, so great was his self-control. The nation was coming apart at the seams when he came to power with a civil war that had everybody's emotions operating at extremes. To add to the tension, some army contractors were ripping off the government. And of course, it made Lincoln very angry. Seward, his secretary of state, wrote a scathing letter to a thieving contractor and he showed it to Lincoln. Not half strong enough, said Lincoln. Seward, he was static about this and so he wrote another letter that scorched the paper and then he handed it to the president and said there the president said serves him right very well mr president and I'll mail it at once oh no said Lincoln don't mail it throw it into the trash Lincoln knew that he could not afford to alienate any more people if he was going to win the war and so he controlled his desire to blast those taking advantage of the situation for their own personal gain. If Lincoln would have sent all the nasty letters he wrote, he probably would have lost the war, and so would we. This last fruit of the Spirit is not at the end as a sign that it is the least important of the nine. It is, in fact, essential in keeping all the others from rotting on the vine. Every virtue can become a negative if it is not controlled. Even love needs the balance that comes with self-control. It is the fruit of self-control that tells a believer when they are getting out of balance and letting the flesh be their guide rather than the Spirit of God. Rivers, they're so important for sustaining life. We put houses all along them. They're the most expensive real estate that you can buy is along a river because people want to be by water. But when it overflows, it's banks, like I'm sure will happen in spring, It causes utter chaos. The point is, is that everything can become bad if it goes to excess. And that is why self-control is the key to keeping all these fruit of the Spirit from going bad. It's like their protective coating. They never rot and go bad as long as they are linked to self-control. The Bible refers to the church, the people of God, as the beautiful bride of Christ. I already stated this. And yet... It is filled with examples of this beautiful bride becoming destitute because she lost self-control. James chapter 3, verse 6 says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I'm convinced that somehow today our fingers are linked to the tongue because... Emails and social media can show us the nature of a person very quickly. All of us carry a portion of hellfire around in our mouth. And if we lose control of it, we can be as destructive as a fire-breathing dragon spewing out flames of gossip and slander that turn reputations to ashes in seconds. We need the power. We need to realize That there are enemies ever banging at the gates of our lives. But they have little power unless we throw them the key by loss of self-control. This final fruit is vital to keeping the whole cluster of fruit hanging onto the vine. It's the inner strength that determines what will be allowed to move you to action. King David, he allowed the sight of Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop to invade his inner life and take over the control of his actions. His plan that evening was not to disobey the will of God, I'm sure. He didn't set out to do that. But he lost control. In this tragic story is another man who illustrates perfect self-control. It was Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. David brought him home from the battlefront to be with his wife, so he would think that that the child was his own. But Uriah was one in 10,000 fighting this battle for Israel. And he refused to be with his wife when other soldiers were out risking their lives. David even tried to get him drunk, but he would not change. He was so self-disciplined that David could not manipulate him. So David decided to have him murdered on the front lines of battle to get him out of the way. And from this entire story, we see that the soldier was superior to his king in self-control. The king let the enemy in and he betrayed his God, his people, and himself. But here was a soldier who would be faithful to his commitments even if it meant denying himself. Even if it meant denying his own rights. His eye was set on the entire kingdom, not on himself. He, not David, is our example when it comes to self-control. The purpose of self-control is prevention. James He writes in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Surrender. Surrender yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is the job of self-control to keep enemies out of your life. Let this fruit get weak, and you are fair game for the enemy of your soul. It's what keeps us alert so the enemy doesn't come back in and by lack of self-control steal everything that we have on our branch. A couple of weeks ago, I had told you about my dad and I planting a garden each year. We had such a fun time doing that. Each year we would go out and and do it, but uh, there would be times where we would go down and see how the garden was coming along, only to realize that animals had come and stolen what was growing. So frustrating when that happens. That happened to Pastor a couple of years ago when he planted a garden. Everything was just turning lush and green, and the tomatoes were growing, the Everything was growing and he comes into his backyard and everything was gone. (laughs) So frustrating when that happens. So we need to add preventative measures to deter things from coming in and taking everything that we've been working so hard to keep. The only way to deal with the situation that we were dealt with was to be honest about our points of weakness we would look to see where they were getting into the garden. The Bible tells us that it is the small foxes that ruin the vine. They come in under the fence, sometimes completely undetected, until you notice that everything's gone. We can lose everything we have with God by leaving an open, opening for the enemy. Self-control, it demands that we be honest about our weakness and admit them before we face temptation. Almost every failure to be Christ-like can be traced to a lack of self-control. But on the other hand, almost every success at being Christ-like can be attributed to the power of self-control. When Jackie Robinson was signed up as the first African-American man to play in the Major Leagues, he, wa- he was warned by Branch Rickey that he would be persecuted. What will you do, asked Rickey, when someone without provocation holds off and hits you in the face? Jackie said, I have another cheek. Isn't that right, Mr. Ricky? That is how he won over all the opposition. Had he lost his temper, he would have lost his place in history. By self control, he not only won for himself, but he won for all who followed after him. The display of a lack of self control goes back to the beginning. God said, do not eat of the forbidden fruit. But when Eve saw how delightful it was and good for eating, she let her appetite and desire rise above her loyalty to God. And that was the origin of sin. Sin is primarily a loss of self-control. It is letting the desires of the body take precedence over the will of God. We read Paul's letters to the early first century church, and we see that they were struggling with division, disunity, immorality, and so much more. And the enemy had snuck in and was rotting away their fruit on the vine. They began to believe Jesus died for our sins and it's given us grace. We can live however we want. It doesn't matter. But they forgot that God is not only gracious, but He's holy. So Paul reminded them, we house the very presence of God inside of us. We are the temples of the Holy Ghost. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Be ye holy as He is holy. And so the only way we can obtain the fruit of self-control is full surrender, complete surrender. One of the greatest victories of life is when we surrender to God and put Him in a charge of our life. If I could have the music come back at this time, I don't know what you're going to sing in the altar for this, but... When we wake up every day, and submit our will to His. Our plan to His plan. When we wake up every day and say, not my will, not my wants. Just by the way, this, this, is, this has been my prayer. Every single day I wake up in the morning and this is what I pray. Not my will, not what I want, not what I want to see happen, not my desires, not my needs. Lord, Your will. So all I need is Your will to be done. If you want him to grow through you and in you, you need to totally surrender to his will for your life. When we say, Lord, I'll stop telling you what to produce and when to produce it, you know what is best for my life. So not my will, but your will be be done. We need the Lord like we have never needed him before. If we can stand all across this place, we'll come to a close. We end with the purpose that we started the series with. It all started with our call back to prayer. King Gurley, he ends the book on prayer that he wrote with a verse written by the hand of Peter. The apostle Peter, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. We need to talk to Him, and we need Him to talk to us. Our world is in pain. Pray. Souls hang in the balance. Pray. We want to be more like Him, so we pray. We need to experience His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Come on, somebody. Faithfulness and self-control. And so we need to stay connected to Him no matter what through prayer we have come to the end of this series bring, to bring it all to this point the point of full surrender less of me more of you I've been praying this prayer for weeks God's been guiding me in this long before I delivered it to you he's been guiding me less of me God the more I get it my, me out of the way the more people are going to see of you so less of me more of you The life it takes to produce these kind of fruit in our life doesn't come from us. It's not going to come from me. It comes from Him. So Jesus' words are still calling out to His church today. I'll read this one final portion of Scripture in John chapter 15. He writes, abide in me. This is the words of Jesus today. Abide in me. Take residence in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, for without me, you can do nothing. So today, I'm going to ask each and every person to come. If you feel more comfortable praying right where you at you can do that as well but I want us to come to a point of full surrender and just say Lord I surrender myself completely completely to you again I don't hold anything back God you have my heart you've got all of me Lord every recess of my heart God I pray that you would just dig into, begin pulling out anything that isn't of you Lord God have your way let your will be done Jesus God, my prayer today, Lord, Jesus, is just less of you, less of me and more of you, less of me and more of you. Let your will be done Be done here today. God, we give you praise. We give you praise, Lord, for what you're doing in your church. God, we praise you, Jesus, for the hunger, God, the desire, the thirst that we have for your presence. God, you're growing our church, Lord. God, we pray, Jesus, that as we lord as we put an importance back on prayer god and as we gather to prayer not just here today god but every single day of the week in our personal prayer on wednesday as we gather together on friday for corporate prayer jesus i pray lord develop us how you will jesus let your will be done in jesus name god we give you praise hallelujah god i surrender all to